Welcome to St. Martin the Fields, uh, whether you're online or here in the building, and welcome to Great Sacred Music. Today we're considering music related to the Feast of Christ the King. The Feast of Christ the King was created in 1925 by Pius XI, and if you think about the context of the interwar years, Mussolini had recently come to power in Italy, Hitler hadn't yet come to power, but rumors were already abroad of his rise. And Christ the King is a feast that recognizes where true sovereignty lies. You may have heard of the Bauman Declaration, 1934, uh, partly authored by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth. And that was a declaration that the Fuhrer was not the leader, uh, that Christ was the leader. So there's, a, there's an interesting historical and theological background to the Feast of Christ the King, which was originally celebrated at the end of October uh, and is now celebrated on the last Sunday before Advent, the last Sunday of the church's liturgical year before it begins again on Advent Sunday. Now I hear you saying, why do we need a Feast of Christ the King if we've already got Ascension Day? That's what you were thinking when you sat down and you saw the theme, wasn't it? You were thinking, we've already got Ascension Day. We don't need a Feast of Christ the King. And if you were thinking that, you would have a very good point because Ascension Day is the day when Christ returns to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father in traditional theological language. So why do we need a feast that celebrates the fact that Christ sits in glory at the right hand of the Father? The answer is, we don't. But we have one, so let's enjoy the music that surrounds it. But let's not be surprised that there is a bit of overlap between the Feast of Christ the King and the Feast of the Ascension. So if you see some similar themes coming through, then you know why. We're going to start with Teach Me My God and King. Now, it's our tradition here at Great Sacred Music, recently revived after the pandemic at the beginning of October, and now going on every Thursday till the end of time. Uh, it's our tradition that we sing together at the beginning and at the end. Uh, so we're going to sing Teach Me My God and King together. This, uh, this is an interesting background, uh, this, this, this uh, hymn, because one of the most exotic strands in philosophical history is the tradition of alchemy. Tracing back to classical antiquity and up until around the 18th century, there's a cluster of codes, techniques, and mysteries promising to turn base metals into gold and create a philosopher's stone, so-called, that can bring about rejuvenation and usher in immortality. Why does the phrase philosopher's stone sound familiar? Well, of course, we have J.K. Rowling to thank for that. She picked up on this theme in the first of her Harry Potter books. Uh, but, of course, it traces back in liturgical language to George Herbert in the 17th century in this poem, The Elixir, where he says, all our endeavors are transformed when we say three simple words, for thy sake. If we realize everything we do is an act of worship to God, it's like looking not just at a window, but through a window to the heavens beyond. It's an overnight change from physics to metaphysics. So we remain uh, seated. You'll find the words on the inside of your sheets or on the website if you're, if you're joining us online. Uh, and the voices will stand and lead us as we sing, Teach Me My God and King.
now in a change to the public, uh, to publish program. I like that. I always look forward to a chance to have used that phrase, and today is the day. In a change to the published program, uh, we don't have uh, Gibbons' uh, a piece, but we have William Croft's Oh, Clap Your Hands. It's not actually as big a change as it might look, because they're both settings of Psalm 47. And as I was saying earlier, Psalm 47 is a, is a psalm very much associated with Ascension Day because of its phrase about God going up. Uh, there's not that much music, much text in Scripture that works for Ascension Day, so you get a lot of Psalm 47 on Ascension Day. So the, the three or four most familiar settings come to be very familiar. William Croft, if, you've, uh, if, if his name sounds vaguely familiar, he was an English composer, organist, and choir master. He studied at the Chapel Royal, later became organist at Westminster Abbey, best remembered for the tune St. Anne, named after St. Anne Soho, just across the road, our neighboring parish, uh, which is the tune for O oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. So you might see his name at the bottom of uh, pages of orders, orders of service. And also perhaps most of all, uh, perhaps known for his funeral sentences, which have been sung at the funeral of every British monarch since the 1700s. And it seems, you know, we may well have some people here who've been at most of those funerals. So. Um, you may know his music very, very well. Um, but that's the, the theological point, as I was saying that, uh, at the beginning, that, that ascension is when Jesus goes up to heaven, Christ the King, and particularly ascent, uh, 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 Christ the King, and if you like, is the celebration of Christ on his seat uh, beside the Father in heaven. Advent, of course, marks uh, our anticipation of when Christ comes back down from heaven. Uh, to rule and judge on the last day. So there's a kind of symmetry about how the music fits together. Let's enjoy Croft's setting of Psalm 47.
Now, I, I don't know if you've ever sat in uh, an Anglican communion service or, or even a, an Evensong uh, and said the creed uh, and thought, what is this doing in an act of worship? It's a clunky kind of thing, the creed. I'm not saying anything positive or negative about the contents of the creed, but it's, it's not obviously a prayer. I mean, I know it's got amen at the end, but, but in other respects, it doesn't kind of look like a prayer. It's a declaration, it's a proclamation. It's a very different form of speech from anything else that happens in the liturgy. Um, this, this, this problem had actually been spotted as early as the fourth century. The strange thing is that it, it still abides even 17 centuries later. But the remedy that was provided for it was what we're about to hear, was the Te Deum. Because the Te Deum is a kind of blend of liturgical, worshipful language that actually follows pretty much the seat suffering and death, his resurrection and glorification, just as the, as the creed does. And then, fascinatingly, we turn to the subjects declaiming the praise, both the universal church and the singer in particular, asking for mercy on past sins, protection from future sin, and the hope for reunification with the elect. It's, a, it's not so much a, a, a kind of musical setting of the creed, it's kind of a whole service all in one anthem. Now, as you can imagine, all sorts of speculation and PhDs written about whether Augustine wrote it, Ambrose wrote it, or, or various other saints that have been thought of. Nobody knows. It doesn't stop people speculating and researching and finding ancient documents that might prove it. Nobody knows who wrote it, but it, everyone's pretty confident it was written in the fourth century. But it has taken off as a piece of Anglican liturgy because of its role, particularly in the Matins service. So Stanford wrote no fewer than three settings uh, of the Te Deum, and we're going to hear uh, the first one now that he wrote, uh, <coughs> written in 1879.
Well, it's time for us all to sing, uh, sing together again now. And those of you joining us at home, we're going to check on you that you're singing too. Uh, we're going to sing King of Glory, King of Peace, George Herbert. Why is George Herbert just the best? Well, you can find out by enjoying the wonder of this poem, uh, which has become uh, a well-known hymn. It's originally known as Praise Too. He wasn't particularly exciting into the choice of some of the, the, the titles for his poems. But what does it do? It, it starts with a problem. How can I be sure that God's love will go on forever? That's the subject of the first verse. Um, the second <coughs> verse is about God's love may go on forever, but my sin may prevent me from receiving that love. And then once that's been resolved in the second verse, how can I most appropriately celebrate that, given that I can't encompass heaven as God would deserve I can do so in my heart. Uh, and then you get this characteristic, very George Herbert ending of tremendous humility, small it is in this poor sort to enroll thee. In other words, my heart is a, is, a, is a pretty pathetic form of a throne. And then you get this immortal last couple of lines, e'en eternity's too short to extol thee, which kind of sums up the whole of uh, the poem turned him. It, it does not get better than George Herbert. He's really got the whole package. We remain seated, voices stand uh, and lead us as we sing King of Glory, King of Peace.
Now, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. If you've enjoyed yourself, I hope you have. There's an opportunity to, there's so many different opportunities to contribute to the life uh, of St. Martin the Fields. Details are on the back of the sheet. You can put money in a plate. You can swipe a card on the way out. You can text. You can go on the website and donate. All sorts of ways. There are no excuses. Um, but do take the opportunity to participate in the rest of our life. All our Christmas carol concerts and so on are on sale at the box office downstairs. And do come along if you're in town to Advent carols uh, at 5 o'clock on Sunday, which is always one of the special treats of our year. There's something about, you know, Christmas carols, let's face it, you know what you're going to get with Christmas carols. But Advent carols, somehow, there's always, they always sort of exceed expectations. It's always a very special service of the year because you get a bit more than you bargained for. Um, we're going to finish where we began with Let All the World. Uh, this setting, uh, Stephen Layton was commissioned for the Church of St. Matthew Northampton and was first performed on the eve of St. Matthew in 1965. Uh, again, it's George Herbert, uh, and again, he encapsulates beautifully uh, four dimensions uh, of, of worship, starting with the with the, uh, the earth and the heaven. There's reasons why those aren't quite perfect. The church is the third one, reasons why that's not quite ideal, and he ends up with the human heart, but above all, the heart must bear the longest part. It's a, it's a, it's a total universal theology of worship, just in a few lines. Thanks for joining us. <coughs>